What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Find a Topic podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, aka Porter. Uh, I wanted to talk to you a little bit up top about today's episode. Um, me and my guest, Jim Adair, who you might know from Twitter, or you might know him from Liberty Ballers, or you might know him from his old podcast, The Step Over, which I mistakenly called The Step Back. My bad, Jim. Uh, but today we went long on uh, your questions that you sent in through Twitter, which was a lot of fun. And we recorded this episode before the Nets game on Saturday. So anything that is mentioned is prior to that game. Although the Sixers did win. It's a good thing. And I'll probably discuss that at length in the future. But yeah, we discussed the Hornets, the Blazers, and then we took your questions. And um, actually, weird thing, right after recording this, one of the people that I brought up as one of the trade targets for the Sixers potentially was uh, Larry Nance from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And it just came out that he's out four to six weeks. Uh, The trade deadline is in like seven weeks. So that probably isn't happening anymore. And I feel bad at this point because two episodes ago, I brought up trading for George Hill. Then he got hurt. And now I brought up trading (laughs) for Larry Nance and he got hurt. So hopefully the other trade targets that we discussed uh, remain healthy and, you know, no one gets any, any sort of uh, catastrophic injury between now and then, or just in general, you hate to see it, obviously. Um, I really, really appreciate anyone who is listening to this podcast. Once again, like, subscribe, share with your friends, leave a review. Everything helps. Anything that you can do to share the pod, it would be absolutely fantastic. Um, as I've mentioned before, the feedback has been so, so good. And I just appreciate anyone who is supporting this right now. And uh, I'm going to definitely continue to do it for the foreseeable future. Um, so here is the theme song. What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode four of the Find a Topic podcast. I am your host, Trill Bro Dude, a.k.a. Porter. And I am very excited today to have a special guest on, um, old fans of his podcast, The Step Back, and t-shirts and and all that fun jazz. And you might know him from Liberty Ballers as well. Uh, My guest is Jim Adair. What's going on, Jim? How are you, bud? Got the name of the pod wrong, man. It was The Step Over. (laughs) Step over. Oh, my God. All right. Let me re-record that now. I'm fucking with you. I don't, I don't care that much. It's nah, step over. It's, it's so funny. I always I always have that image in my mind of because your your guys podcast logo was the picture of Iverson stepping over mm-hmm. Tyron Lue, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. With with maximized heads on on their bodies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that was it. Oh, man. Up top. Already getting it wrong. So you know that this pod's going to go really well because I screwed <laughs> up the name of your podcast up top. It doesn't yeah, no. matter. It's dead anyway. <laughs> Def- now defunct. Yeah, we but... killed it with our bare hands. Yeah. 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 So uh, today we're going to go over um, kind of, you know, how Jim feels about the Sixers so far this season um, and how you know, things have looked over the past few games since I last recorded. Um, but after that, we're going to do a special mailbag because one of my favorite things that Jim and Max used to do on the podcast was they would do these long mailbag episodes where they would take uh, questions from fans on Twitter. So I thought it would be fun to have Jim on and and do that uh, on here. So uh, first off, Jim, mm-hmm. what uh massive conclusions can you pull from the Blazers game when we were missing Ben Simmons and we lost to the worst team ever constructed? 
Well, I mean, the the main conclusion is that that game was always going to go that way, you know? Of course. The, the Sixers always lose games like that, or at least, you know, your, your selective memory only remembers the bad ones, so it seems like it. You forget the ones they win when they're supposed to win, but, uh, you know, Redding was on the wall for that one for a bit. You know, back-to-back, uh, not only on a back-to-back missing, Ben, obviously, uh, Seth has been out of sorts since he came back, and then he ended up leaving. Um but, you know, it's like there, not only was it back to back, but like there have been a lot of Joel falls and hits and stuff like that where, you know, I would have rather they probably just rest him for that game, too, to be quite honest. For sure. Um, Absolutely. And then if they rest him, they probably win that game, you know, even though he, he was basically, <laughs> somehow. somehow. Yeah, he was the only force on that team who was doing anything, really. But you remove him from the equation and all of a sudden it's like the Tony Bradley game or something, you know. This team is, will never make any logical sense, no matter how well constructed it eventually gets, or um, who the GM is, or who the coach yeah. is, or it doesn't it's just matter. Meant to, they're they're meant to break your brain at all times. Um, so yeah, <laughs> you can't really take much from there. I see a lot of people and Joel himself uh, in a Twitter thing saying, you know, that game shows you how much you need Ben, and I don't really think it does. I think it was just a shit game from a lot of players. Like, sure. Ben being in there with his defense would have been great, but like, you know, what also would have been great is not starting the game. Oh, for 13 from three. That's probably more yeah, exactly. impactful on that game than having Ben in does. And I love Ben, but I think that's just like, that's, I wouldn't take, that's not my takeaway is that it shows you how much they need Ben. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm kind of with you on that actually. And, 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 and once again, I've, you know, I've talked a lot about Ben's impact um, so far this season, you know, obviously he had the rough start, but more recently, he's definitely shown, you know, he, he's always going to bring it on defense, but often his offense is starting to come around, especially the game that uh, Joel sat out. And you, you start to see, you know, obviously all that stuff doesn't show up in the stat sheet, the same stuff that Doc kind of repeats over and over. And you're right. like, yeah, we get it. Like, there are multiple ways to impact the game outside of the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. But just having like a single point guard in that game yeah. <laughs> might change. Like, th- that's the thing is like, the outcome of that game, and I know that Ben technically is our point guard, but like I, I don't think that anyone would say that he's a traditional point guard, no, more of a yeah. point forward. And, Correct. You know, he, he is a unique player himself, but not having anyone who can, you know, plus play make slash get into the lane and collapse the defense is going to pretty much make it so that your half-court offense is stagnant. Right. And that's kind of what it comes down to for me. Like, I think that if the Sixers over the past four or five years just had one like above replacement level point guard that they Mm -hmm. could go to in these type of situations that Ben being out wouldn't matter as much. I mean, it shows you, I mean, like uh, I was clamoring for like a DJ Augustine, right? Cause like, that's the kind of just a guy who's like, I would say, I mean, I like DJ Augustine a lot. I think he, I think he's better than replacement level, but like just the guy who's not going to, shock the world but somebody who can come in and just be reliable who's a veteran but i think going back to the whole like not missing ben thing i don't even necessarily think that it was like ben does a lot on the floor and he, he's not a focal part point of the offense but he's involved in every play on both sides of the floor in some way when he's in the game and he doesn't miss time very often so if anything yeah. i don't think it's necessarily that it shows that they're bad without him it's just that they're not used to playing without him and he's such like a weird you know wrench in the cog of the machine type player that when you remove that completely the team looks very different in a weird way um and you know on top of that shake hasn't been doing 
great. Uh, Maxi's finally looking like an actual rookie. Right. So it was just a rough game all around. And I don't really think there's much to take from it, even though I get people saying, look, it shows you need Ben. Like, I just I don't see it for that one game. Yeah, I think just having that steady hand point guard, whether it's a, yeah, I mean, I think DJ Augustine's a good example. I've been talking about George Hill. Like these guys that will just come in and, you know, they can fill in a game here and there if their right. starter's out. They can come off the bench and provide essentially just a steady hand to keep the ship afloat until, you know, your starters are are back in the game. And that's something that for some reason over the past, like, as I mentioned before, like four to five years, like the Sixers have ignored the point guard position right. in a way that I have never seen. Like, it's like we are completely allergic even like if you think about like the point guards that we have had, as I said before, kind of replacement level guys, the Halu Netos, mm-hmm. the TJ McConnells, the guys that are like even in in their own right, they're weird players. Like TJ yeah. is TJ is like a, a unique player in terms of like you know he brings the defensive energy, but he's not a great on ball defender. He's uh, you know, a, another point guard who doesn't really shoot threes. Like mm-hmm. they can't just get, and even like last year, Trey Burke, like Trey would, um, uh, he's a decent microwave scorer off the bench, but he's not a point guard. He's a shooting guard in a point guard's body. Yeah. Now this year you have Seth Curry, uh, Maxi and shake all combo guards. Like they're right. not traditional point guards. So yeah. just completely ignoring this position has gotten to the point where it's starting to really catch up with them in terms of just like having someone that you can trust to handle the ball or even just run a fucking pick and roll. dude. (laughs) I mean, you you go back to, you know, go back to a guest you had a little, a couple episodes ago, the Kevin Rice, uh, one of the Kevin Rice guys is Smith, right? So yes, someone like is Smith, who again is not a world beater is not, I would not say he's a great NBA player, but He's a veteran who knows how to play his position. And he knows how to play his position well. So when he needs to start for your starter, the drop off's not that terrible because he can just consistently run the offense. He can run the game, right? I think of someone like, again, from the same uh, franchise at one point, like a Tomas Sadaransky, right? Where guy, again, not like a world beater. He could shoot a little bit more than like an Ish Smith, but like, He's just like a consistent like, okay, I can just facilitate and get the ball whatever. Whereas when you have someone like Shake or Seth, specifically those two who are way more two guards, I think they I would call them combo guards, but they lean, you know, 80, 22 to one. And Max is probably more of a 50, 50. But it's just like if you just had a pure one, which they haven't had probably since Ish Smith. Yeah, probably. um, it would it would help. And it's the same thing. It's it's kind of the same thing we've been saying for a long time with a backup five as well. Uh in different ways though, because you don't need that standard backup five. You need kind of a stretchier guy to play. And they haven't gotten exactly. that guy. The closest they had was Mike Muscala, and he sucked. He sucked, but you could see that he just having him in the game would definitely change how defenses had to play against sure. the Sixers yeah. just because of his stretch ability, yeah. because his ability to stand out at the three-point line and actually be a threat. Yeah, it's like, Even it, though, it's, of course, when he got yeah. to the Sixers, he couldn't shoot threes. It's like they had the right idea when they got Jonah Bolden, but he sucked, so that didn't help. But you need like right, a Jonah yeah. Bolden-like type player. Um, well, he no was really kind of more Kevin of a Rice. four, really. But yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, I just got to, I gave Kevin some credit, and I got to, I got to kick him in the knees a little bit. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it's the same thing. It's like, even when this team is built so well, and, you know, Daryl's been with this team for basically a blink of an eye, and he's already made yeah. tons of changes, but it still isn't built like a normal NBA team. 
No, it it's isn't crazy, at all. But you know, it's, the, it's 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 light years better than it was last year. But it's still not normal. I, I, it's very strange. And and the one thing I will say is that this whole pseudo point guard thing. It's not just the Sixers anymore that do this. I yeah. don't know if you've noticed this. It's, it's a weird thing where, like, the idea... I think that LeBron kind of broke a lot of people's brains being, like, the greatest player of all time who's essentially a point guard and a small forward and a power forward at the same time. Yeah. Like, So the idea that you don't need a point guard or a traditional point guard is, like kind of more commonplace now than it was before. Like I like perfect example of another team that's actually a very good team, but whenever they miss guys, they struggle is the Clippers. Like right. the Clippers do not have a traditional point guard right now. Like Lou Williams is that once again, that combo guard type guy you have. And also he's not played nearly as well as he has in the past yeah. this year. Uh, Patrick Beverly also Luke Kennard, uh, Nicholas Batum. Like basically they have a bunch of guys who are running point that aren't point guards. Mm. And then in a game like last night when they play the Celtics, uh, who are also down a few players, then you start to see a little bit of their weaknesses. And the bulls have been doing this all season with Zach Levine and Kobe white, who are both two guards. Like, mm -hmm. There is this weird thing where I feel like people have kind of gotten away from like a traditional point guard as a concept. And right. like, I think that you can get away with it when you when you're at full strength and you have Kawhi Leonard. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. And like you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Like. Yeah, and it goes to the modern NBA thing of everybody's got to be able to shoot a three. Right. And right. So they would rather have a guy who sacrifices ball handling and maybe b-ball IQ, but who can shoot much better than a guy who has a high BBLQ and a better ball handler, but isn't much of a outside threat. And, you know, yeah. maybe that's just, maybe that's honestly just a better way to build a team, but you're right. Like there's not, you think of like a pure point in that way. And like, well, I mean, Chris Paul obviously is an all time great and he can shoot too, but you think of like a, in the Chris Paul vein, you got like an SGA, you got like a John Morant, but like those mm -hmm. two are also really good players. So there's not, you can't, there's, there's not really like a replacement level version of those guys because they're kind of giving up on that or it's just that people are being trained that you got to be able to shoot and yeah i mean the idea of a traditional it, it, the idea of a traditional point guard is definitely going out the window it's why someone like lonzo ball perfect example of like someone who is an old school throwback style point guard who's a pass first guy mm -hmm. but because of the lack of a pull-up uh, like threat he defenses can play him differently. Right. And when that is the case, it severely impacts your half court offense, especially when you're playing next to Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams and Zion yeah. Williamson. Yeah. I think it's <laughs> that scenario is, is not the best scenario for him, but it's definitely, like you said, everyone putting this emphasis on shooting. And I think one of the things that I have liked that what Daryl Morey has done is that he says, yes, we do need shooting and we need high level shooting. We need Danny Green. We need, you know, even Furkan Korkmaz in there, Isaiah Joe. We need Seth Curry, obviously. Tobias Harris has been unlocked once again. But I think that one of the things that is is lacking from this roster is that second, third playmaker and oh, yeah, a normal sure. one. A just a normal like and I love Joel and the amount of attention that he gets in the post is is gonna alter how teams play the Sixers and and create a ton of open looks for guys. But at the end of the day, he's not a playmaker. And the Sixers really only have one consistent playmaker in the offense and he doesn't shoot. So yeah. you're gonna get games like that with Ben and you're gonna get games like that without Ben. So right. 
if, if it's funny because if you look at the night before, it's like the complete opposite. Yeah, that was a great game. Like the offense is totally humming. Like mm-hmm. guys are getting open looks, hitting open shots. Ben's finding Danny Green all over the place. Embiid is absolutely dominating in the post. Like it's amazing to see the disparity. Like when this team is at full strength right now, like yeah. I feel like they can beat anyone. And I don't yeah. think that I've felt that in a while. Even during the Jimmy season, I didn't feel that because the Jimmy season was so weird. Yeah. Like all the guys coming and going and Jimmy refusing to shoot threes for an extended period of time and Tobias starting out amazingly and then falling off and then you don't have a backup center. Like right now, I feel like, the, and I've said this on the podcast a few times, I feel like this team with the starting five and then just like they're one guy away, if they can somehow keep this unit intact and then also bring in another guy. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's you know, again, Daryl's been here for so such a short period of time, the way that this team is constructed is they're not going to miss the playoffs. So the whole regular season and this being a weird ass season as it is too, is just like a figure it out time uh, to see what you need and what you can do when it comes to the playoffs, new coach, all that shit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens when it comes to roster moves and, and things like that. I have, I, you know, when you had, we'll Brett, talk about it a little bit, I think yeah, when you had Brett and you had, you know, Colangelo or El, and maybe a little bit less so Elton, but like you got the sense you knew what the, what the type of GM that person was, the kind of moves they would make. And even if you look back at Maury's tenures, uh, you think you know it, but like he's was in one situation for so long that you got to think, well, he's in a new situation. He's going to change up his approach. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he does. Yeah, definitely. And and it's one of those things where I think this idea of Daryl Morey as um, a GM has kind of been like, he's the trades guy. He's the guy that makes the big moves. He's the guy that makes. But if you look back at the last few in-season trades he's actually made, if you remove the Covington trade, the Capella-Covington trade, which was really just done out of necessity mm-hmm. because Russell Westbrook and Capella could not play together. And it was kind of a last second, like heave slash hail Mary. He's actually been pretty conservative in season with his moves. Like he'll tend to pick up guys that are on like, you know, a, you know, he'll pick up a flat, he'll sign a Jeff green or Mm -hmm. he'll sign, uh, you know, uh, last year he tried it with like Damari Carroll and he'll bring in these guys during training camp, like Anthony Bennett that you're like, wait, why why is he bringing in? And like, he'll do these weird things that give him like almost like this, like quirky kind of, uh, you know, uh, unorthodox style as a GM. But at the same time, he also, in season, he tends to like to keep teams together for the most part. Like he's mm-hmm. not going to do what the Sixers did two years ago. He's not going to make a move that drastically alters the team to the point where you're removing three or four guys in the rotation and you're replacing them with new guys. And then you're figuring it out on the fly. Like, I think that he at least understands the importance of that continuity and that he's not going to make, like he might make like a, a decent size move right here before the deadline, but I don't really see any massive moves coming just because of his history. Like I, I think that a lot of people think that he is that guy, but all of his big moves have come in the off season, actually, yeah. which <clears throat> not only that, but to, you know, to go back to the, the point again, it's like we, we have a question later uh, since you sent me some of the questions about Embiid's prime, right? So people think because Embiid's prime is X amount of length, 
that you're under the gun, you're in, you're in a sprint or whatever. But again, he's been here so briefly. This is such a weird season. It's a new coach too that like, I would be surprised if you were to make a big move during this season. It seems more likely to be an off season or next season thing. Um, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, he can do whatever, but like, it, also, if you look around, uh, it seems that people are a little bit in a, in a holding pattern, maybe. Um, Definitely. And there, I'd be surprised if any really big trades happened. Um, who knows what's going to happen? But like, there are we people said that out last there, year, and then a yeah. ton of ones happened. There the are deadline. people out there with like the the he's going to be traded cloud over their head, uh, which I'm sure yeah. we'll talk about a little bit too. But like, with the way that the market has been set with these trades too, it's going to be people are going to run out of things to give up, uh, and it's got to yeah. be reset at some point. So, yeah, and and it's kind of and uh, one of the other things I'll just touch on before we hop into the questions is like when you look around the league, there aren't a ton of tradable contracts. No, like, yeah, there are guys on medium sized contracts, but the majority of the leagues are like guys that all have like huge contracts, which make them hard to acquire at a deadline. Like, yeah, it's it's hard to get Demar Derozan or Kyle Lowry or someone in that tier of player that you know, might be available at the deadline, but also how do you get that guy without blowing up your team? Like that is what mm-hmm. is going to be the real thing with this trade deadline to look out for is like, if someone's a buyer, like how much of a buyer are they going to be? There's That's also, kind of, a, there's also a shortage of like moderately sized expiring contracts, which it, always becomes really exist all that much. Anymore. Yeah. It, it always comes useful weird. in trades when it's like, okay, we'll throw this expiring in the guy makes $9 million, whatever he'll make, help make it work. But those, they're not really out there. So it becomes harder to put a package together as well. Yeah, like if a guy makes, like Danny Green makes $16 million, but I don't want to trade Danny Green. He's been really great for us. Right, yeah. Like, he fits really well. He's a veteran guy. Like, And also, but like he's, know, he's Danny Green and he's making $16 million, So what situation, what team is going to go for a guy of that age, of that, uh, you know, play style whatever who's really going to be working working out pretty well for a team that's really contending uh a team that's really contending is not a team that the sixers are likely going to be trying to make a trade with yeah exactly unless they're a team in the west that have like a desperate need but then again like i guess you're 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 expanding it to three or four teams at that point exactly and that's when the you know the, the trickery comes in but yeah right yeah yeah as we've seen before but all right so Good talk about that up top. We'll definitely touch on a few of those other things here, but um, let's get into the mailbag. Uh, I apologize to the people who sent in the questions. I didn't write down all your names, but these questions are very important. So the most important up top, would you prefer your bench to be seven Ben Simmons size Tyrese Maxis or seven Embiid size Isaiah Joes? It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, I have I have a, I have a, a follow up question to the question which you can I will, will you can make the decision on. Yeah. So, other than their size, so like is the Ben Simmons size maxis? Are they built like Ben Simmons? Or are they built like Tyrese Maxi? Like, do you get their speed, strength, etc., or is it the other? Yeah, I think I. I mean, to me that that sounds like, and I mean, if if you get Ben Simmons strength, size, all that stuff, I think that that would be the description, right? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So I think if it's if you get like players who play like Tyrese Maxey who are built in size and all other physical characteristics like Ben Simmons, I think that's my answer. But if not one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah. If it's not <laughs> if if it's just the height, really, 
Um, yeah. Then I go with the Embiid sized Isaiah Joes because having the hundred shooters like that on the floor that are seven one, like they're going to be okay at defense by accident. Um, True. So yeah, I would Except I would say Anthony Towns. Yes, uh, but if you have five Carl Anthony Townses on the court, I think you're probably doing pretty good still. Yeah, your you're offense like is going to be enough. Every, yeah, every game's going to look like a Nets game, basically. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. If, if if they have the build and everything, I would say Maxis. If it's just the height, I would say the Isaiah Joes. Yeah, I'm going with the Maxis. I just like I and I like Isaiah Joe a lot. I just love the play style that Maxi has. Like I yeah. love that guy that comes in off the bench and just like punches the defense in the mouth because he can just like literally take one step and he's in the paint somehow and you're yeah. like how the heck like that for, for that guy to be ben simmons size yeah all right i'm going with i mean that. it's, it's to me, that's like thing. a hall of famer right there yeah it's also the thing of like no one watches isaiah and joe and goes oh why can't Embiid do that but <laughs> <laughs> if they do they're psychopaths but people will watch actually be like see how easy it is for him why can't ben simmons do that which is you yeah, know I mean, you, we um, can argue if that's fair ago, or not we were... but it's just easier to, to put that image in your head as well yeah, exactly. And a month ago, we were all like, uh, "Yeah, no, we should get we should get rid of Ben Simmons, but keep Maxi. He's untouchable." Yeah. <laughs> well, I never felt that way, but I did feel as though I didn't want to get rid of Maxi, and that if you could get rid of Ben and bring in James Harden, it's a different yeah. it's a different conversation. I don't think Tyrese Maxi is bringing back James Harden in a trade. The, the Harden, just a quick aside on the Harden, the Harden Ben conversation became stretched out so long. That I stopped having an opinion on it. Honestly, I was like, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And like, it, what does it matter if I like it or not? If it happens, right? Like, if they do that trade and then it doesn't work, I'm like, see, I told you. Like, who cares about that guy? No one wants to be the see, I told you guy. Like, it's stupid. Yeah, no. So yeah, yeah I, I totally just, understand what you mean. Yeah, I was, yeah, I, I, I was so one. exhausted. I was so exhausted from the conversation, dude. I was like, so tired it, of it. It was so annoying by the time that and like. I'm pretty sure that I'm not allowed to. I'm probably on a no fly list to Australia now because of all my <laughs> pro James Harden tweets. <laughs> like, like I literally, I was like, you guys act like I hate Ben Simmons. Like Ben Simmons is an all star. Yeah, he's a flawed player, but like I enjoy watching him play, and like I still like Ben. Like even though we didn't trade Harden do, or trade for Harden, doesn't mean that I don't like Ben. It's just like you have the opportunity to get one of the greatest players of all yeah. time on your team. And people were like, you're a fucking idiot. And I'm like, okay. When, right. when, yeah. When the Brooklyn trade happened, I was initially mad, not because the Sixers didn't do it, but because Brooklyn did. And I'm like, now they're, they've leapfrogged you. Exactly. And I was just immediately relieved that it was over. <laughs> I, I was, I, I, I was kind of in the same boat as yeah. you, but like the, it, it took me a few days to get over it just because it was Brooklyn. Like it, oh, in yeah, my mind, sure. like you overpay to make sure that he can't go to Brooklyn. But now, now that it's happened and I watch Brooklyn, I'm like, hmm, maybe it was, maybe it was the right move to, t to, to pass on that and let, let them, uh, you know, have the war, maybe one of the best offenses of all time, but also the worst defense of all time. I think we'll, I, we'll see what happens in the playoffs because we'll see. I mean, they, they've been having their growing pains to say the least, but of course, if they continue on the track of being the best offensive all time and the worst defensive all time, based on like net rating, they're still winning every game by like two points. So true, true. And also uh, the uh, the playoffs are going to be fucking fun as hell. As long as they don't play the Sixers, there. if they play the Sixers, I'm going to lose my mind. But be, the, the playoffs will be fun as hell if they 
if we get there. <laughs> Let's get there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So, um, yeah, speaking of the Nets uh, throwing a wrench in things. Um, all right. So we're actually going to talk about trades next. I had that up on deck here. Um, would love to hear some under-the-radar stretch 4-5 candidates uh, that we talked about that you could acquire at the trade deadline or the buyout market. Yep. So you can go first with that one. Great, because I looked around and it's fucking nothing, man. There's nothing there. Yeah. So pretty bare. Like I look. All right. So I'm just going to read through my list, and this is as you'll see how quickly I gave up on this concept actually happening. <laughs> Item number one: Paul Millsap. <laughs> Item number two: Ooh. Myers Leonard. Item number three: I wrote I not a stretch four, but Alec Burks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then I wrote Patrick Patterson, but the Clippers probably keep him. Mm-hmm. And I said. Uh, Noah Vonley, but he can't shoot. And then I wrote Juan Hernan Gomez, question mark. And then Marvin oh, Williams, yeah. who I don't even think is in the league right now, question mark. <laughs> no, he's retired. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, that's like, it's it's the market out there for buyout candidates. Like, maybe we'll be surprised when it gets closer to that and someone's like unhappy and, you know, someone's an owner makes a bad bet and it's like, oh crap, I don't have money anymore. But I'd be yeah. shocked to see like a realistic, good stretch four or five candidate on the buyout market. Um, they, they said trade deadline as well. So there are, if, are there any other guys in terms of the trade? Because like, I have a few guys that I actually can talk about now. But the guys that you brought up, it was funny to me that you said, you were like, well, the Clippers aren't going to want to get rid of Patrick Patterson, but Paul Millsap. I mean, like, it's just, I think, I think it's just like, I, I'd love to hear who you have because I was looking at these, the list of expirings for the buyout possibility. And then there's right. like people who aren't paid a shit ton for a trade because if you're just going for a, stretch four or five backup you're not gonna be giving up a ton um yeah and it's just like it's it's really it's it's, it's slim pickings yeah it, it's not it's not great but um right now okay so the ones that we know that are not under the radar at all are the ones that are have been discussed which are pj tucker's the obvious right. one uh belitza from the kings i can't remember his first name um Nemanja. Nemanja, is it yeah Nemanja. okay um Mike Muscala, which honestly, Mike Muscala might be the move, dude. I know that sounds <laughs> ridiculous. That sounds like a ridiculous sentence. It's but an extremely Sixers thing to do that. It would be. It, absolute, dude, he's shooting um, per 36. He's shooting 11 threes and he's making 38% of them. That's like a dude. That's a high volume. Like that's a valuable shooter. So I'll say this. So I remember looking back at um, this is probably maybe before the league stopped last year, maybe even, maybe even before that, maybe like before the season last year, even. And I was um, astonished at Duncan Robinson's three point rate at, Oh my God. He was like, cause like 80% of his shots were three pointers. And I'm like, that's just stunning. <laughs> so I was trying to find out like if he did that for a full season, this was his rookie year. So it would have been guys two years ago or last year, whatever it is. Um, like if he does this throughout on that volume, is he like the, does he have like the highest three point rate of all time in it? I think the answer would have been yes. I think he ended up coming down below that, but I was looking at single seasons and uh, when Muscala was with the Sixers, mm-hmm. his three point rate was in like the high sixties. What? Like he shot like nothing but threes. And I don't remember him really playing like that. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like, I can't remember Mike Muscala at the rim at all. 
I can't remember Mike Muscala at all, <laughs> except for missing threes. At his only, like, I only bad. picture him in the corner, basically. <clears throat> so I was thinking yeah. about it. And I'm like, wow, I guess he really all he really did. Like, he didn't shoot them super well here, but all he did was shoot threes. So if they're coming in a, at, a, at a better rate, then it's probably a good pickup. But I don't know if I can do yeah. that again, man. I, but here's my thing with Mike Muscala, and this is the thing that um, he is going to be the easy, one of the easiest players to acquire because he's on a minimum. Yeah. So you literally – it's just like the Alex Burks, Glenn Robinson thing last year where you can just send a second-round pick and get him. Right. So – and, like, Oklahoma City is going to be one of the few teams that probably does not have a shot at the play-in tournament. And Presti has all those picks. Like, obviously, he's going to want to try to win because he has all those picks and he doesn't care and blah, blah, blah. But at the same time, I think at a certain point, like, he's expiring – he was on a two-year deal. Like, if he has any interest in going to a contender and is familiar with that contender, I think that there it's it's definitely uh, of all the guys out there, I think he's the most likely to end up on the Sixers by uh, if they're interested in getting that kind of guy, that stretch four or five that can come off the bench. Yeah. But um, oh, wait, I'll, I just pull, I put it up real quick. His three-point rate was point seven one six in Philadelphia. Oh my god! And it's that's insane. It's much higher since. In the two years since, what? it's uh, 0.749. Oh, my God. Well, that see, that's the thing, is that if he's shooting threes at that clip and he actually has a shot that defenses have to have to respect, like yeah. getting a guy who shoots, you know, medium volume, 33%, just because he's tall doesn't mm. mean that defenses are going to respect that pretty much at all like every team has a big that can do that yeah. now his current like, average shot distance is 20.8 feet wow yeah Damn. he really does not play in the paint at all no, anymore he doesn't, yeah. not that we need anyone to because if we if he's playing the four he'd be in there with dwight and ben for, right. for rebounding purposes um and then if he's playing the five he would be playing with ben and tobias probably so right. he would so from a rebounding perspective it wouldn't even matter correct but yeah. um so some other guys that are on here that I was like, these are less likely guys. The, my most under the radar one, I guess I would say, even though I think it's very unlikely, is it's actually Robin Lopez. Um, Robin Lopez has been kind of killing it this year. Yeah, I was looking at him too, and I just don't know, like, I mean, I guess they don't really need anything there, right? <laughs> it's like, what's it going to cost to get Robin Lopez off that team, I guess? Yeah. And he fits into the trade exception too. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah. So he makes seven point five million. And like I also like don't think stretch four five is like our biggest need. So like this would be one of many moves if they were to make it. Mm -hmm. Or he is a possible buyout candidate. I believe he's on a one year deal. He might be on a two year deal, but I, I think he is expiring. One. Yeah. So yeah. that that could be a possible buyout candidate if the wizards just completely shit the bed. Um which they but I would will. imagine he'd have a few other teams probably over us. But um the uh yeah i guess the wizards are already shitting <laughs> but yeah, uh, an interesting one actually yeah. but yeah he's been shooting uh career high from three i think it's still only like 35 percent but he's been shooting a career high from three he's been one of the he's been the most efficient post player in the nba this year in terms of points per possession mm -hmm. uh but he only posts up like twice a game right so it's not like he's doing it all the time but he exploits a mismatch if he gets it and then uh from a rim defense standpoint he was like top 15 in terms of uh percentage at the rim so yeah i, was I mean like, he's done he's done well for himself i mean i think he was inspired by his brother a little bit but he's kind probably. of 
you know, as he's losing some athleticism and as some, you know, his knees are maybe getting a little older, he's starting to stretch out a little bit. And I think it's a smart move. And they both, they both, I mean, his, his brother basically remade his entire career just by firing tons of threes and doing it really well. Yeah, so. yeah no, it's crazy. And, and I think that if you were to take a guy on like that, it would probably have to be in the buyout market just because you're not going to trade or pay a guy like that who's might not be playable in the playoffs, right? Like, yeah. It's possible that he just cannot play. Like he's only a stretch five. You would be using him situationally probably, which is why I don't think that he's even likely at all. But if you want to talk about under the radar and then my other two that were less likely, but still technically possible would be Larry Nance jr. Which I would fucking love. He's been awesome this year. He's yep. been one of the best defenders in the NBA um, I think you posted a screenshot earlier that he was second in defensive win shares behind Ben. Um, I think that was actually Gasol, but he's not far. Yeah, behind. he was like he was like top five. Yeah. I at one point he was two behind Ben. Yeah, and so as a defender, that's why I don't think Cleveland's gonna. First off, you have the family connection with the right. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, I can't, yeah, I can't see Cleveland like he's one of those guys that Cleveland will 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 trade, but at like of at a cost that's worth more than he is. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And I think that right now, like having all those young guys there and them having a chance at the play in, I don't see him, but it's technically possible. So I figured yeah. I'd throw him on there. And then uh, Laurie Markadon from the Bulls, which we discussed last episode. I don't think he's very good at anything but shooting. Yeah. Um, his Yeah. His defense is bad. Um, He doesn't really give you any sort of advantage because he can he's kind of not. He, his defense is weird because he's a tweener. Right. So he, he's not athletic enough to cover fours, but he's also not like a, a great post defender. Um, I don't know. I know a lot of Bulls fans who don't like him, but he didn't sign an extension. So it's likely that he'll either be traded or they'll someone will sign him in restricted free agency uh, this summer. So I had to throw him on there. And then the last two that I thought will definitely not happen, but would be great. The first one is Sarich. Like, I think that. Yeah, I, th- I was thinking about that, too, man. But I think that's a bit of rose-colored glasses because, you know. I was never a big Sarge guy when he's here, but the way that he's played with Phoenix the last year, year and a half, has made me believe that he can be that small ball, like five, and and also play back up four. It was always weird because he had had one really great year here where he was like, for a good chunk of this season, he was flirting with 50-40-90. And then he, he hasn't shot the three that well since then. Um, he's not terrible at it, but he like he's never really approached League that. Average, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you'd see all this talk <clears throat> as someone who watched him play with FS and, and with the national team where he's this, you know, coming in when he was drafted, he's like, oh, he can't shoot at all. But he's like, you know, you're you're point forward he's he's your right. ben simmons type obviously ben simmons is a much better player but like that kind of like physical <laughs> offensive presence oh. where you know he's seeing the floor and he's passing and he can like do that stuff he never really did that with the sixers they never let him do that on the national team because they just let uh Bojan bogdanovich just play kobe ball on the national team it's yeah it's extremely frustrating to watch but <laughs> he does have that that b-ball iq that i think is like kind of being unlocked a little bit uh in phoenix when he's kind of able to do that because i think phoenix is a team obviously they have their two main guys but it's built more like uh you know their their team is is the, the difference between the ceiling of their top players and the floor of their worst players is is smaller than a lot of teams in the league um Definitely. they're deep 
yeah so i think that that's like a great situation for him um and i i like him a lot as a dude and as a player but uh i don't i wonder if he would be as good here as he is there honestly yeah, I'm not sure either. I I I do the the fact that you bring up like he really only had that one good season here, and and for all the comparisons that this team draws to that 2017-18 team, like I think about the fact that he was a starter and yep. having him come off the bench, similar to the role that he's had in Phoenix, is probably the only way that he would be successful here. But I just think about like anyone you could upgrade those Mike Scott minutes for. Which I guess won't even be that big a deal when the playoffs come around because Tobias and Ben can both play the four. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I I don't really think that that is like the big and like you're not going to spend a ton of money or trade assets on a guy who's only going to play situationally at the five. So right. it's very unlikely. But I just thought I would throw it out there. And then the last one is uh, Maxi Kleba from the Mavericks. I just figured if the Mavericks are awful that they might eventually be like, all right, maybe we should get some assets back for these guys. But yeah. I, I love him. I think he would be perfect. It's a much longer conversation, but the Mavericks this year are very interesting. Definitely. I mean, I would, I would love to fleece them again and get like Jalen Brunson and Maxi. On the I would love Jalen Brunson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I love Jalen Brunson so yeah. much. Like there, there are a few guys in the league that I'm just like, they're just super like, they're just, it's it's ridiculous to explain, but they're just like good at basketball and they fell yeah. into the second round because they're not exciting. And like him and Brogdon are the two like guys small. I always think of. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like they don't, they don't really jump off the page, but like he won fucking national player of the year was yeah. clearly very good at basketball and then somehow slipped into the second round. I believe the Sixers passed on him twice. I'd be, I'd be willing to uh, look past my, my Villanova hatred for Jalen Brunson. <laughs> no, Villanova, they really do. Other than Spellman, I feel like every Villanova player that gets drafted ends up being very good. Yeah. Like at least a very good role player. They just churn out role players. They do. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. So next one we're going to talk about is everyone talks about our trade targets, but who are you most terrified that our Eastern conference competitors could acquire? Uh, I have, I, th- I have three, but you can go. Yeah, I have three, but I just wrote Bradley them. Beal three times. Um, <laughs> I, I had him. Yeah. I have Bradley Beal. And then I said, <laughs> I said that um, it, it pains me because I just had this, this very vivid vision of the playoffs where the Sixers lose a game on a dagger three by one of either Alec Burks or Glenn, Rice the thir- or Glenn Robinson the third. And I was like, they have that energy. Like somebody else is going to buy them out and they're just going to take one playoff game and just absolutely roast us. Yeah. And I can just see that Alex- so vividly in my mind's oh my eye. God. Alec Burks could end up on the Celtics too because him and Tatum are boys, I think. Yeah, that's, God damn it. I can just see it happening already. It makes yep. me furious. But yeah, Brad Beal... Um, Levine, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. But like, again, like the, the now that the Harden trade is out, right? Like the, the when I think of Eastern Conference competitors, right? You think of Milwaukee, you think of Boston, you think of Brooklyn. And the mm-hmm. only one of those three teams who actually is probably able to make some maneuvers to get a player like that would be maybe Boston. Because of the picks. Yeah. And just because. Yeah, because Milwaukee doesn't have any picks anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Brooklyn's like all out of minutes to give to like, especially like a Bradley Beal type or a, you know, that'd be just pure insanity. And they would just, yeah, Zach Levine might push them over over where their defense is actually worse than their offense is good. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I, it it just comes down to Boston, I think, because I don't think there's a team in the East 
like maybe like maybe the Pacers, right? Where I guess maybe the Heat too, but I think the Heat would have to probably have to go with Bam, and I think that's probably a good thing. Um, that is like able to like get one of those guys, and it would make them leapfrog the Sixers. I don't yes. think that that's I don't think that one of those teams actually exists this year. Um, it, I think the Celtics are on the level with the Sixers. And the Nets and Bucks are. Oh, I mean the Sixers are first in the East right now, but like that—that's a four-team like race for number one, and yeah. they're the only four teams who I think are going to come. I don't think another one of teams in the East is going to come out of the East, no matter what happens. I think that right now Miami would be the one that is most like Toronto and Indiana have the infrastructure to be able to like you get one star and you're yeah. in the conversation with those teams but like it, making that acquisition halfway through the season is going to be incredibly hard and the amount that you would have to give up to even get that guy would probably make it so you're not in the conversation anymore yeah i think like Tor- so, the best possible version of toronto is the one that exists right now exactly yeah, yeah. And, and and i i watch indiana a lot i just i like a lot of their players and I watch them and I just go like, they're one guy away, but like, how do you maneuver around this roster and get that one guy? Like no one's ever yeah. going to go to Indiana in free agency. No one's ever going to f- put them on their list when they forced a trade. So yeah. like, how, how do you uh, get that? How do you do that move without taking one step forward and two steps back? You know? Exactly. Yeah. And honestly that and I love miles Turner. I think he's great. And what he's done for their defense is amazing. But if they had made that Miles Turner for Hayward trade, they would have just made both teams more annoying, I think, like, <laughs> in terms of, like, it would have been, so, like, to Boston, I, I have no idea why they didn't weren't interested in Miles Turner, because I've, for years, I've thought, like, please don't get Miles Turner, even yeah. though I know that Embiid owns him, but, like, Embiid owns everyone now. Yeah, like, like, like that, you can't even, like, throw that out the window. I'm just thinking from, like, to have Boston with an elite rim protector who can also shoot threes, right. like... Uh, but um, in terms of my guys that I have on here, I have three. Um, B- Bradley Beal to specifically to the Miami Heat would be uh, like if they gave up a hero, uh, if they were able to pull off like a hero precious picks and none type package, which I don't think they would. But yeah, that no. would be the scenario where I would be like, oh, great. We have to go up against maybe in the first round against Jimmy uh, Beal and Bam. Best yeah. of luck. Yeah, that'd be annoying. <laughs> that scenario would suck. Um, and then the other one that I had was uh, Oladipo to the Celtics. Um, hmm. I just think that Boston like ha- is like one playable wing slash ball handler away from being like another fucking year where they just they're a pain in the ass in the playoffs and they beat us type thing. And like, I don't think Oladipo moves the needle all that much for most teams because. Um, like I said before, like whatever you give up, but like he's yeah. on an expiring, he would definitely like, I, if I'm the Celtics, I would rather have Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown with the ball than Victor Oladipo. Yeah. But, agreed. At the, but at the same time, Oladipo is a good catch and shoot shooter now. And he's a, de- he's still a decent defender. And I'm like, just to have one more of those wings, like would just, it would be a huge pain in the ass. Although I've said before, I think that the, they'll, they're more likely to get like a, like a Harrison Barnes type than a uh, Victor Oladipo type. So yeah, who would again I'm, be annoying I'm, as shit? Exactly, and I I actually think Harrison Barnes has been re- every time I watch the Kings, I've been impressed. He's he's become like a pretty good defender. I mean, Harrison Barnes like, is one of those dudes where like it, you know he was shit talked because of his contract for a while, but like he wasn't a shitty player. 
Like yeah, he I, don't, was, I don't really he was get like why below average like for a minute there, but like it's just because he was paid so much that people were just like, oh, he sucks. But yeah, he didn't and the suck. role and fit thing, mm-hmm. like the role and fit thing, is always the case. It's like yeah. if a guy is not a star and he's act to, asked to play like a star because of his contract or because of his skill set, then everyone hates him. But then when he goes back to being a role player, you're like, oh, this guy's actually pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it happens like all the time. I feel like, although J- uh, Jeremy Grant is like the one guy who was able to escape that. Yeah. Good for him, man. So, He's having a great Yeah, I know. Great I, career. I'm happy for him too. It's 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 awesome, dude. It's it's great to see him just become like an abs it's so funny because last year uh Ben Dietrich called him uh he said he's like, I feel like you could build an offense around him and kind of have him be like a mini Giannis. And I was I made fun of him for it. I was like, What are you talking about? <laughs> like you could never have Jer- Jer- uh, Jeremy Grant as the center of your offense. And they're doing it this year. And he's not Giannis, but he looks pretty fucking good. He does, he looks great. But also to be fair. Let's see, like that team's not going to go anywhere. So yeah, you know, I mean, the team around them is not very good, but they they at least have they at least one of the strangest built teams in in my memory of ever. Yeah, going into the year, I was like, why do they have seven centers? And now I'm like, okay, well, at least they have Wayne Ellington who's shooting out of his mind, and he's uh, a good shooter. Like, okay, so yeah. they do have shooting, and and Jer- and Jeremy Grant has been a good shooter this year. It so was maybe, it maybe was they- wild because I they in in the off season. When these signings are being announced, it'd be like, oh, this guy's going to Miami and this guy's going to Cleveland, whatever. But then not only did they get like five power forwards or centers in a row, but they were like back to back announcements. So it was like the next <laughs> five announcements were all Detroit Pistons and everyone was like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> yeah, they were just they sorting. Were like, uh... they, they were sorting by highest 2K rated and didn't realize they were only on the centers page. And just making offers. <laughs> when they signed Plumley, that was like the first thing announced, I think. That yeah. was like the, the headliner. I was like, oh, God, if that's your first announcement, these things aren't going to go well. But then when they got Grant, I was like, all right, maybe maybe things aren't that bad there. And, and they ended up acquiring a ton of centers. And actually, two smart moves, they well, one smart move they made. I shouldn't say two. They I, Were they the team that acquired Ed Davis and then flipped him? I think they were. I think they were, yeah. They took on a... Yeah, and then they also did it for um, then I think they did it for uh the guy that we got Bradley. They got a second round pick for yeah. that. So like yeah. So although they just paid Zaire to not play, and they also did the same thing with Dwayne Dedman, which didn't ma- none of it made any sense. No, but what I mean weird, strange. Off-season. When you make thirty five off season moves, t- two or three are about to be good. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, you get as many cracks as you want. Apparently, Troy Weaver's just you know fucking going ham. I think but, what they um, had like right. three total players returned from last season, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, no, they they're never entire, seen a roster I mean, turnover quite like that. It's crazy. To be fair, I mean, it's the Pistons. Would you, would you, would you want to live in Detroit in the middle of a fucking pandemic and also play for the Pistons? <laughs> like, I'd rather live in Detroit good. than play for the Pistons. That's for sure. Oh yeah, same here. I've actually heard Detroit's pretty pretty. I'm cool sure it's now. lovely. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, know. I just don't I, think I being know. a piston is cool. Think, thinking about like being stuck inside. My my thought was weather immediately was like yeah. you're gonna be stuck inside a lot and uh, it's gonna be cold as shit and also you're gonna have to play for the Detroit Pistons, which sounds like a fucking nightmare. So yeah. All right. So last one here. I actually have two, and I had to throw on some former Sixers here because it would just annoy the fuck out of me. The one move that I think would be, I, I said for the Nets, it would just be any competent 
defensive center slash rim protector. Mm-hmm. So you know who's coming, right? Former Sixer. Al Horford. Competent, <laughs> no, competent rim protector. <laughs> uh, Nerlens. You think Nerlens is going to be on the move there? He What's his deal right now? He makes five million. Yeah, he's on an expiring he's on a one-year contract. Deal. Yeah, he already lives in New York. True. So, well, I mean, you know, Knicks, his, his his history of rental properties. Who knows? But <laughs> how? Like, I don't, I have paid like you know because I am a person who values my mental health. I and like my time. I have paid zero attention to the New York Knicks this year. Uh, lucky for you. Yeah, is he like playing much? Like, what's even happening there? He's the backup. I mean, he backs up Mitchell Robinson, but also like they play Julius Randle at small ball five sometimes. Yeah. and then and then and Randall's having a really have, good year. Yeah, Randall's been amazing. And yeah, then Randall's they also great. have that rookie Toppin, who's a four but can play like small ball five, even though he's like a fucking awful defender. Yeah. But so my thought is, is that if the Knicks, if he's like, I'm gonna leave anyway in the off season that the Knicks might say, all right, let's get a second round pick and I don't know, some fucking small contract. And then we'll, we'll send them to the Nets. Why not? Like, yeah. although I guess they don't, they don't have any invested interest in making the Nets a championship contender. I just think that I also don't know like, if he moves the needle that much there though. I think the, the reason why I think a, a guy like even like, maybe you need to get someone better than Nerlens, but that like archetype of player what, for the, the for the Nets, you mean? For the Nets, yeah, the just like having, <laughs> yeah, Nerlens with 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 a with a foul problem, you know, Nerlens with nine fouls per thirty six. Yeah, so well, that's the thing is like I just think that they're one competent rim protector away from being like like you said earlier. Oh, they're beating teams by two now. They'll beat teams by five. <laughs> that's true. I guess I mean I'm thinking it through the lens of Embiid, and I'm like I'm not afraid of him, but also like I don't oh, yeah. with Embiid you don't fear many rim protectors, but I guess he does move the lead a little bit for them there. Yeah, just I I was just thinking purely from a defensive rim protector standpoint, yeah. he would be a massive upgrade over Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan. Um, I mean, all right, did you so think that an was... offensive step back from DeAndre Jordan? An offensive step yeah. back? Mm, yeah, but I also think so. like how many they have the best lob throw of all time, arguably with yeah. James Harden. So like I think Nerlens would be able to figure it out. Also like the center on that team doesn't have to ever touch the ball unless it's an offensive. That's what I'm saying is they're one of the few teams where like these defensive first guys, like I mentioned on the podcast before, like Thibel would probably work on the nets. Like Bruce Brown works on the nets. Like there are defensive only guys that could work on that team because they just have so much playmaking and offensive firepower that you're not even worried about it at all. Let's get Boban to the nets. Oh man, that would be fun. Yeah. Speaking of former Sixers. Yeah, but the uh actually the last one, and this is like half serious, half not serious, but what if the Celtics just brought back Horford and he went back to Boston Horford? Like how fucking annoying would that be? So the thing is, it doesn't seem unlikely that that would possibly happen. Just because why wouldn't it happen? Yeah. But I don't know, man. I mean I know it's a fit thing and I know it's a I just I just don't know what he does for that team that makes them that much better. I don't right think now. he's any better than Daniel Tice at this point. I just think it would be super annoying. It'd be incredibly <laughs> annoying. Because you know <laughs> if he just went back there. He'd open the he'd open a playoff game hitting two threes and we like we would just start punching our TVs. Exactly. Yeah. And he he's shooting like 42% from three this year. So I'm like, fucking great. Uh, but it, I'm not actually worried about that. Like I don't, first off, Boston would not take on that contract. Like no. the, the, ta- the tax implications from that alone, because they're close to the tax. 
They're also hard cap. They can't take in more than 19 million in salary without sending out like 10 million. So yeah. it would be a complicated situation. Like they w- it wouldn't happen, but I just thought I would throw that on there for laughs. Um, I remember when we made the Danny right. Green and, and Seth Curry moves. I looked up um, that. So last year for the Sixers, uh, Al Horford led the team in wide open three point attempts. <laughs> And he only hit them at like 26%. And I'm like, that's not a fit thing, man. That's just like, you can't do it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, teams just did not give a fuck and he was just not making them pay at all. Yeah. So yeah, no, that, that I'm, I'm not actually worried about that at all. Um, but I thought that I would throw it on there just for fun. Um, all right. Next one, perimeter creator or stretch big? What's the bigger need? This isn't even close for me. Yeah. I think we, we kind of touched on it earlier. It's definitely the creator. I mean, you yeah. look at, you know, because the stretch big really is only going to be doing Embiid backup because Tobias is playing really well this year, right? So you're not going to scoot Tobias out to put a stretch four in there. Um, and ideally, Embiid's playing a lot of minutes because he's your best player by far. Uh, exactly. So it makes it easier when everyone else in the, is, is when Embiid's off the floor and you have your benches in there. But, but a perimeter creator makes it easy all the time for everybody. <laughs> That's their job. Exactly. Yeah. And like, think about like the last. I don't know, 10 years, name me one team that didn't have like a, at least like a, a borderline all-star perimeter creator on, yeah. on the team. Like you, you just need that to make it to the finals. Like that yeah. is the reality of today's NBA. And that's like the stretch big thing. Like I, I think ultimately Dwight will play 10 to 15 minutes in playoffs and he'll be fine. Like they'll be able to tread water with him, Ben and shooters. So I'm not, or a perimeter creator if they were able to get one. Um, so I'm not entirely concerned uh, about the stretch big as much as I am about the perimeter yeah. creation. So yeah, that, that one's easy. That's not, we don't even have to expand anything, no. but, um, all right. Bigger concern in a playoff series, backup for backup center, backup point guard. It's kind of the same question, but I figured yeah. I'd throw it in there. Well, no, cause I think, it, I think it, there's an important difference there because, um, you know, based on history alone, I'd be dumb not to say backup center, but mm-hmm. Dwight's been like cautiously reliable this season and Embiid being better than ever before is also helpful there. Um, yes. I do have, I mean, the last couple of games have been rough for both of them, but I do have some confidence in Maxi and shake a little bit less. So as a ball handler, but in spot minutes, um, but right now they're not really, they don't have a backup four. period. No, there isn't one. Um, no. and I, I, you know, grain of salt stuff because the play by play data is not the most reliable thing in the world because, you know, you put five guys on the floor who says who's the, the three and who's the four or whatever. But according to basketball reference play by play data, uh, 36% of Cork Mars's minutes this year have been at the four. Oof. Because he's usually out there as just like wing, right? Uh, yeah. That's not going to work. Nah. So looking but, at that alone is what pushed me to say, because like right now in your bench lineups, your backup four is either Ferk, Tease, or Shake, probably. If you're doing, if you're in pure bench lineups, which are a lot less common in the playoffs as well. Um, right. And I do think there's a chance that in the playoffs, there's never a moment where one of Ben, Joe, or Tobias are on the floor. That's what I'm thinking. And two of those three guys are can play four, and one of them is your five. So whatever. Exactly. Um, I was like, if yeah. you get the backup point guard, it kind of solves the backup four problem at the same time. Yeah. Because correct. If you can get a backup point guard, then Ben can play the four, or Tobias can play the four. Like you can figure out. Like as we've said before, the the, the best part about Ben 
is his versatility. Like yeah. the fact that you can slide him, he can play the one, the two, the, really he can play the one, the three or the four, but preferably you'd have him at the one or the four. And in maybe sometimes at small ball five, if you can figure out the perimeter defense and, and just, you know, surround him with uh, ball handlers and shooters, yeah. even though I'm skeptical that that could ever work. But as I said, get a backup point guard, like get a solid George Hill type and then put Ben at the four and I'm not even concerned about it. Like, yeah. So I would say I would say backup point guard just because I think it solves that problem. Yeah, I think you're right, but I do think they do need either a, a healthy Mike Scott or a Mike Scott type because, you know, you, you ideally are like, well, Ben or Joe or Toby on the four at all times, but like foul trouble happens. Someone yeah. rolls an ankle and you need someone to get out there for 10 minutes. True. And right now yeah. they don't have that person at all. And yeah. I, that's where yeah. Belita was interesting to me. Extremely. Because yeah. I was like, yeah, because I was like, I don't trust this guy in terms of like, I don't think he's athletic enough to cover the smaller fours, obviously, yeah. but I do trust him in a emergency type scenario in the playoffs. I think he's a competent enough ball handler slash playmaker and shooter that I would be comfortable with him. So he's definitely one of those guys that has been high on my list because of that. But yeah, if he right. didn't, if he didn't lie about leaving us for Europe, <laughs> God, well, I, you know that that guy shares an agent with uh, Bogdanovich, uh, yeah. the one who did the same exact thing yeah. this off season. He, he, literally, Morris. he literally pulled a, a Chandler Bing. I'm going to Yemen deal. And he's like, I guess I'll, <laughs> And he's like, oh, I, I meant Sacramento, by the way. <laughs> it's it's the same exact place. Yemen yeah. and Sacramento, they have a ton in common. Yeah, it's a very um, uh, cosmopolitan city, Sacramento. <laughs> All right, so uh, last two trade questions here. Who will be the uh, the bet who would be the best trade piece the Sixers could acquire realistically to solidify their finals aspirations? Uh, it matters what you mean by realistically. Yeah. Uh, because I think, I, think I mean, we can I think we should cross Beal off the realistic yeah. list. Uh, and then I, you know, is Lowry more realistic than Beal? I think so. Yeah, then I probably don't think Kyle Lowry. I don't think that he's super realistic yeah. because of the way that the Raptors have been playing recently. But um, I would say if Fred Van Fleet goes down with an injury tomorrow or Pascal Siakam or one of their top four players goes down with an injury tomorrow – that team's pretty thin and yeah. you know, then you're looking at a shift. Like there's a lot of things that could change, uh, but right now I would say, I would say solidly. I don't see Levine Beal or Lowry getting traded. I agree with so you be because of that. I'm going to say there, I have a few guys that are in that kind of uh, more realistic tier. Mm -hmm. uh, Evan Fournier is one, but I don't think he necessarily makes them into like, the finals team like but i think he's like just isn't he like somehow it. still like 26 he's 27 i think every time every other player in the nba ages two years he ages one it makes no fucking it's sense insane. he is yeah i mean i get you get that a he's lot more of guys yeah he's oh my god that's a ridiculous normal well, no, 27 i think he's older than anthony davis oh my god yeah. that's insane buddy healed 65 i don't know if you know yeah, that yeah yeah He's actually he collects social security checks already. That's like so. it, it's Fournier is one of those guys where when um fuck I'm blanking on his name now. Uh Greg Monroe. When Greg Monroe was starting in a playoff game, I was like, how old is this motherfucker? And it turns out he's younger than me. Uh but it's he's like, like what, thirty he's like twenty nine now, but that two years ago he's like twenty seven, right? I think he's thirty now. Oh, um God. 
but yeah, age. it's it's one of those things where like you just someone's just around for a while, so you just assume they're old, but they're really not. <laughs> no, oh my god, every Detroit center. I thought Drummond was way older than he is. Yeah, he's, he's not still that like old. Twenty six or twenty seven. Like he's not old mm-hmm. at all. Evan Fournier just turned twenty eight. Thomas so. Thomas Bryant, I feel like is thirty five years old, and he's like twenty three. <laughs> yeah he's one of those guys like zach levine's only 25 yeah yeah that's why when i found that out i was like oh my god he's young he was younger than karis lavert yeah it still is it's weird man <laughs> yeah um okay so I, I i so i have my tears not likely to happen at all beal and levine mm-hmm. um maybe but probably not lowry and uh depot in terms of like making a move yep. and then i have my likely but not sure it's enough George Hill, uh, uh, Terry Rozier, Evan Fournier. And I'm going to put DeRozan and Lonzo Ball into this too. Yeah. I don't know if Lonzo Lonzo Ball thing is interesting. Yeah, it is very interesting. I don't know if, like we were saying before, if any of those really put you enough up when you're losing what you're giving up. Right. Um, but with Lonzo, you wouldn't have. Okay, here's the thing. Right. Here are the good things about George Hill, Terry Rozier, Fournier, and Lonzo. They all have contracts that you actually wouldn't have to give up Danny Green even. Right. You could send out expirings and figure out a deal where you can get those guys back without. Now, the next tier up, like Oladipo, it gets a little bit harder. Levine, it gets a little bit harder. Yeah. And then DeRozan and Lowry are just impossible. And Beal are just impossible without moving like a starter plus more. Yeah. So plus you'd have to move a lot for some of those guys. Right. So yeah, yeah. Now I'm with you. I'm going to talk more about the Lonzo thing later, but I'm, I, all I'll say is I'm intrigued. I've always been intrigued by him. I think he's a good player. I think that, I think that he's one of those guys where like, because he didn't become a star that everyone thinks he fucking sucks. Right. But, like yeah. every time I watch the Pelicans, he's just making like smart, positive plays. And like, he's a very flawed player, very similar to Ben but Ben's obviously much better. Yeah. And I just, I don't know. Every time I look at impact stats, he's a plus player. Like he's always helping the team in a certain way. It might just not be incredibly evident to the eye. So yeah. I'm, I'm definitely intrigued by Lonzo. I think that a smart team out there, like I think I've been saying, I think Chicago should just buy low on him and put him next to Zach Levine because he's the exact kind of point guard that they need. Yeah. That would be nice actually. Yeah, I know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be excited to watch those two when I think they both could benefit the Sixers. But it is what it is. Yeah. Um. And then okay, so we have we're off of the trade. Okay. Last thing: Will there be a major trade by the trade deadline? And if so, what will be? Just a prediction. I don't think there is. Yeah, I don't think there is either. I think the, the I think that the season's too weird. Minor. It's there's there's yeah there'll be some minor deals for sure, and like you know maybe the minor deals will. Like it'll be like a minor deal that like really helps a team, but like I don't see anything big coming. League wide, I don't no. see anything big coming. Nope. No, I totally, totally agree. I, I see to me the biggest player that could possibly get traded that I right now sitting here today, I think, is either Victor Oladipo or DeMar DeRozan. Those are the two guys that I think that like could realistically help a team um and have the biggest name like recognition yeah and even those two they're like those are like upper level minor deals i would consider yeah yeah i I mean i would say like i've been saying for a few years now like probably two years like i think demar Derozan could be the best six man in the nba but i don't see him starting on a championship team that makes sense yeah 
that's just kind of how I view him. Uh, all right. So um, let's see. Uh, Embiid prediction. How long will his prime last? And by prime, I mean the level that he's currently playing. Well, I mean, if we're talking about the the level he's currently playing like the last two months, then like probably two more months. But if we're talking about like if he finishes this season with it being his best statistical season so far, um, I would say hopefully five more years, but realistically probably three. I have two to four. Yeah. I think that's a good range. I have, I had two to three realistically, but I just, I just had to go with three. Um, I think you can extend that by increasingly making a better team around him for sure. Absolutely. Where he can be, he can play at this level without having to put up the stats he puts up. Um, And that's the best way to extend the career of anybody, uh, especially a big, I feel like, but um, I think realistically he's got three more. Uh, and then, like, the decline starts. And, like, just be- if he's two years past his prime, doesn't mean he's bad, you know? No, I still think that, like... It means he's, he's who he probably was three and... years ago or two years ago, yeah. you know? I think that could be, like, the second best player in a championship team still just because... Absolutely. Because he, the the value that he brings as a rim protector is, like, when he's locked in. I don't think that people realize that we haven't seen locked in on defense and beads since, like, the Toronto series. Like... Yeah. For an extended period of time, like he he regularly will take some games off. He'll take possessions off, which is totally fine. Preserve your energy and whatever. I know you're a great defender and I'm not necessarily worried about that. But like if we get this level, like first off, the the regression from the mid range shooting is coming and it's just inevitable. And it's not to say. Oh yeah. And the three as well. And it's not to say like, I think that he'll, he could still end up with like career high marks just because of this insane start, but like he's shooting Dirk level from mid range, like long, like 70% from 16 to the three point line. And then 41, 42% from three, like this is not going to keep up, but what's important about that is that it it makes it so that teams actually do respect the fact that they have to guard him out on the perimeter, which they weren't really all that concerned with last year. No, because, and rightfully so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I would, I would bait him into that shot every time last year. Like I would not want to go up against him in the post or, you know, risk drawing a foul. Just let him take the threes, let him take the long twos. But this year it's just been, He's been absolutely potent, but I would say, yeah, two to four years. I think he, as the best player on a championship team, I would say that is the window. I still think that in a post prime Embiid could be, take a step back and be the second or third guy on a championship team because of the value he brings on defense. And because of the fact that offenses just have to respect him. But and I mean, um, what extended his prime a bit too, I think is that not only the drawing of fouls, um, but the fact that as a yeah. big man, he hits him at like 84, 85% from the line, which is just Crazy. astonishing. So, yeah. you know, elite touch. Yes. And so, that, will, yeah, that no, probably I won't totally go anywhere. Agree. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. Uh, all right. And then this isn't exactly an Embiid question, but should Tony Bradley start over Dwight when Embiid is out? I I honestly don't care. Um, <laughs> I think there yeah, is some, matter. I think there is some merit to keeping the rotation set. And I think coaches like to do that. Brett like to do that. Doc likes to do that. Um, but when it gets to the playoffs, I don't think we're going to see Tony Bradley. Um, and if Dwight's going to rack up fouls at the rate he's racking up fouls, it doesn't matter who's starting. They're probably going to get the same amount of minutes anyway. True. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of like start Tony Bradley to maybe keep Dwight out of foul trouble early. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in the regular season, but when it comes to the playoffs, like Dwight is going to be the guy yeah. or if, unless we can somehow maneuver a, a way to get a decent stretch five and then bring Dwight up the bench still, but maybe split their minutes. Like I'm not incredibly concerned, but like, I do like, I will say from an offensive rebounding standpoint, Tony Bradley has been close to as good as Dwight. Like he's been really yeah. good. He's a they're really both, good they're both big rebounder. plus rebounders, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I will say that I think that the offense flows a lot smoother when Tony Bradley's in there, but the defense takes a hit and then it's the vice versa. I just think that the, the, the Ben and Dwight thing, like as long as you have three shooters and maybe one other ball handler, you can make that thing work. It's just going to take some time to figure it out. So I probably, yeah. I probably lean just start Dwight because you're gonna, you're gonna eventually, but I, I don't hate either one. It doesn't really matter to me either. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. I got like 20 minutes left in me. So let's, right, let's plow through these up. last ones. All right, so Ben, thoughts on his current play and how much does that elevate the Sixers? Do you think it's sustainable with Embiid? Um, so I think a lot of people who complain about Ben, uh, which I think you can vary, there's a lot of things to complain about. Uh, they're seen by people who like are Ben apologists to be like demanding a 2012-10 line every night. But mostly they just want to see Ben play the way he's been playing in the last you know six, seven games, whatever it is. Uh, the defense is obviously amazing, but something changed in his mindset. It seems like over the last couple games where he's playing more driven, decisive basketball and it's lifting the team immensely. Right. So I looked up some numbers. It's they're great to begin with. Right. In the season's first 11 games, when Ben and Joe share the floor, it's a plus 12.4 net rating. That's great. That's fantastic. Pretty good. Yeah. In the five games they played in since then, it's plus 19.2, which is much better. Right. Uh, on the season as a whole in 442 minutes playing together, which is a lot. It's, Plus 14.6, right? Yeah. Among duos that have played at least 400 minutes together, that's the 10th best in the league. And Tobias and Joe is fifth best. And the first four are all Clippers, right? Yeah. I, I did these, God, these yeah. by the way, I got this stats are from before the game. It doesn't matter. Ben didn't play that game anyway. But you got Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Serge Ibaka, Kawhi Leonard, Nick Batum, Paul George. Nick Batum's nuts this year. Serge Ibaka, Nick Batum. Then you have Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid. Then it's Conley and Gobert, Batum and Leonard. Uh, Gobert and O'Neal, LeBron and Davis, and then Joe and Ben. So, like, the Clippers are out of this world. Two yeah. Utah lineups, which are great, uh, especially defensively with Gobert in there. And then LeBron James and AD. They're the only ones that are above and beating Simmons. So, that's fantastic. It might not, like, you know, you're not like the, the stats, blah, 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 but, like, it's good. It's always been good. It's this is the best it's ever been because of the team around Except them for last year, but that was a weird. It was a weird player. fucking year. We don't count yeah. last year. That doesn't. Yeah. The, <laughs> it doesn't. We're retconning we last year. Yeah. <laughs> last year is you know X Men Origins Wolverine. That shit didn't exist. We don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm just I'm not taking any any grand conclusions from that. Yeah, I think if Ben plays the style he's been playing the last five six games versus they don't even need the same output, right? That helps the team immensely. And we've seen it be really good in the playoffs. I mean, we've seen it be kind of bad in the playoffs, right? You think back to that one Brooklyn series where he just like kicked ass. I don't need him to do those things numbers wise, but I need him to play that way and have that level of intensity. Yeah. yeah. Play like you're playing against LeBron in the important games. Yes. Like every yes, time. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> That's basically my thing with Ben is like if he puts in effort and 
has the ability to collapse the defense and set screens, which, by the way, he's been doing way more this season, and it actually has freed up shooters a lot. Like, the more that he gets being comfortable off-ball, the more that he is okay with maybe reducing his role and crunch time, like, I think it's just, this is workable. Like, it's it's proven we might need one more guy to kind of shoulder the load in terms of offense on on certain nights, but overall, yeah, I think it is. And And I, I think that, that like, you know, he's playing the last 10 games. He's been playing at an all-star level again. Yeah. And I think if we just, if we just, if we reel in our expectations a little bit, right. Um, it'll be better for everybody. (laughs) You know, I don't think Ben's going to be a 22 points a night scorer for, for, for his, like, it's not going to happen. So if you stop, if you acknowledge and accept that that's not going to happen, which yeah, it stinks. I'd love him to be doing that. And I'll be, I'll be annoyed when he goes out there and takes three shots in a fucking half. But <laughs> if you stop paying attention to like that stuff, you can get mad at him for you taking three shots in a fucking half. It, it's more his 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 style and his headspace, it seems, than, than his actual output sometimes. If he's going to go in there and and go one for ten and a half, fine. I want him taking ten shots, though. Yeah. You know? I'm not mad at that at all. I love the aggression. I love how... When he gets downhill, you know, and, and Doc has been basically, you know, trying a lot of different things to to get him yep. moving downhill, and it's been much more successful recently. I'm totally with it. Totally, totally with it. I've also All seen right, him, um, just real quick, I've seen him a little bit more engaged as defense at the rim, which he's never going to be like a, a shot block guy, but no. it seems like he's taking defense personally this year like you're not scoring on absolutely. me you asshole yeah uh so it's great to see. <laughs> yeah no especially in crunch time i yeah, mean there's absolutely. a reason why the defense the defensive rating is is astronomical but yeah yep. no i like i don't even i never even like ben doesn't have to be like a fucking rim protector small ball five but like even if he's just like a good help defender at the rim like i'm totally yeah, totally fine absolutely with all right so um coming back to uh with ben coming back to all star production what would you see his contribution as during the playoffs versus the regular season and on offense? I mean, similar way. So it's like if he gives you 80, 85% of what he's giving right now, but the defense is the same, I think he's exactly what you need. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel too. Yeah. I'm, I'm like uh, everything we just explained and then maybe a, a notch up just because it's the playoffs. Yeah. Um, okay. Random. These things we can just do rapid fire based on both stats, team vibes, and uh, feeling, how far do you think that this year's team will get in the playoffs? I think the stats will come back down. I think they're they're they've been cruising in a lot of games, um, and they'll come back down to earth a little bit. So if you're looking at numbers alone, yeah, they're first in the East. But I would say, I I I'd be disappointed if they didn't make the Eastern Conference Finals. But on vibes alone, they're champions, baby. <laughs> they got the championship vibes. Yeah, no, I'm. I would say, like, if I had to make a prediction today. Pre-trade deadline, I'd say Eastern Conference Finals. If yep. I if I say uh, if I say they make a big move at the deadline, potential champions. If they make a decent move at the trade deadline, maybe finals. Yeah, I'm with that's you. Kind of that's that's where I feel. I've been saying I think they're one guy away. Yep. Um, okay, so should the Sixers play zone for all of or most of Matisse's minutes? <laughs> uh, I don't think they should because when they put that zone on it was also in a very active zone uh yeah. which will wear you down uh and i think also it's it's best used sparingly because when you use it you're really catching the offense off guard absolutely and you, it's it's yep. not easy to game plan around but you can game plan around it but if you just throw it on mid game 
you're going to catch people off guard. And that's the best time to use it. If you just come out, if you just establish yourself as like, we're a zone defense team, like people are going to roast your ass. So yeah, exactly. This is not college. Yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's, it's basically, yeah. Use it situationally. Use it if you're maybe trailing or if, you know, you're just trying to, you know, maybe extend your lead or whatever it yeah. is. But it's also one of those things where you can turn it off and turn it off. I so would love to it, see it, it used a bit it. more when, you know, if they had like a 12 point lead and all of a sudden that goes down to like a six point lead on a real quick run, then throw it yeah. out there and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I, I just think it also makes the regular season more interesting. We have more to talk about. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, Thibault. Once again, better defender or vlogger? I don't. Is he still vlogging? Is he vlogging during the season? I, don't know. I haven't paid any. Attention. I've never watched any of his vlogs. I've just made jokes about it. His Instagram content is the cheesiest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he's a cheesy guy. Yeah, he is. He's a dork. But uh, I think I mean he's put uh, he's putting it together on defense recently. He had a rough start, but his offense is still shit. But um, <laughs> yeah, he's 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 been picking it up a bit, a bit this year. I mean, also remember, you know, he's a second year player, right? Yeah. I mean, he's. He's 32, I think, but he's a second year player. So, like, he's, you know, you got to give him a little bit more rope, I think. He's, he's two years from retirement, but, yeah. you know, he's still figuring it out. Um, yeah, no, I mean, his defense has been yeah. unbelievable. He's almost off his parents' health insurance. So, <laughs> all right. So, last one here. Save the best for last. Yeah. Deodorant brand for each player. You don't have to run through any because I only have one and I'm going to say it up top. I have one too. And I wrote down, it, all I know is that Ferk is a brute man. Oh, I have Firkin as an axe guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what? He could be an axe guy, too. Yeah, that's true. Bodies, like, he just has axe bodies. If you go on his Instagram and you look at his pictures, yeah. a guy wears axe bodies, spray. 100% chance. You know who's, no, who's, you know how bet is an axe guy? Dario's an axe guy. Oh, I can see Dario as an axe guy. Yeah. Definitely. He's a bit of a, bro. I was trying to think like the Sixers, unfortunately the Sixers don't have like a Steven Adams or a Robin Lopez on the team. Cause I would have said Tom's, but, <laughs> but we don't have a hippie. No. Like, we don't have yeah. like a guy that's like a bit more out there. Know, so. It's somebody who's shopping. Like I can't have any aluminum in there, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, dude. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I had a great time recording and I hope you, uh, come back on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Peace.